this is Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera, available everywhere good podcasts are sold. I am this week's party host, I am the platforming prodigy Mark Robinson, and I am joined by the Roman Reigns of the podcasting world and the JRPG Jackhammer, Jack Lazell. How are you? Yeah, mate, I'm good, thanks. I love that we've got two titles each on this podcast. This is what we do to make up for the lack of uh, having Dave Ryan, who quite literally is away doing an assignment. That's just probably the first time that statement has ever been accurate. Yeah, I think at this point we're overcompensating and trying to get these extra titles. Jack, I want to start this week by talking to you, carrying on from a conversation we was having uh, yesterday, I believe, about how I think the innuendo is weirder than Bohemian Rhapsody. And I'm actually, I'm not sure if I'm ready to put the crazy trousers on and say I think I prefer that song to Bohemian Rhapsody but it's definitely crazier oh yeah so if we're going queen singles i think a lot of people you know they're gonna point to the fact that bohemian rhapsody was number one and it's one of the weirdest songs to ever be number one but i want to say it's like 550 in length whereas innuendo is six and a half minutes long and it has a spanish flamenco breakdown in it which lasts for an unnecessary amount of time and that was a number one single So I think I have to agree. I think innuendo is probably weirder. And towards the end, Queen, can they just ensconce themselves in the studio? Because Freddie Mercury's ill health and stuff like that. Some of the music they made is far out there, man. That innuendo album is pretty strange. So yeah, if uh, if anyone's interested in anything beyond the standard uh, Queen rock, we will rock you, we are the champions kind of era. Check out like the last couple of albums that Queen did. There's some super sad stuff on there, but there's some very odd progressive rock choices that they make. Well, it's like, I think the the last single they released, or the last musical video they released, was for uh, the Days of Our Lives, and just... Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, that video is, is not easy to watch. Um, but I, it's one of those things that, sure, when you know that you are on borrowed time at that point, you I would imagine you just kind of go freewheeling to do whatever the hell you want and considering Bohemian Rhapsody was what 15 odd years earlier uh, it doesn't take me as a surprise that um, by that point Freddie in particular would just be like fuck it if I want to put a Spanish Spanish flamenco section in this bit I'm gonna do so and you know what it's great yeah it's it's really weird but yeah like the the last part of days of our lives and he just looks into the screen Mm -hmm. and the last line of the song is I still love you Mm -hmm. and he just like it's like he's looking at the fans and saying, I still love you. And it's just, yeah, that is that is honestly one of the most tragic last things ever delivered by a musician. That and, like, you know, Bowie's last I was going to say Black it. Star is... Oh, fuck man. me. Uh, that is, yeah. Yeah, the first uh, time just... I saw the video for Lazarus, ah, uh, man, like, that thing is, is rough to watch. It is hard to watch. And, of course, the crossover between the two, one of the greatest songs ever by two big artists was uh was under pressure like what an amazing song i i'm glad you went with that and wasn't going to go with uh david bowie and mick jagger da- dancing in the streets <laughs> yeah it was yeah oh christ yeah that is awful and i i i challenge people to tweet us musically like in terms of in terms of bands because the, co- the cool thing in like hip-hop and like r&b and stuff is that there's a lot more crossover so you'll get like a Beyonce and an Eminem, or you'll get like a Jay-Z and an Alicia Keys or something. 
And it seems to happen a lot, but it doesn't happen that often. I'm sorry, I mean, Brian music... Adams and Melanie C produced one of the best bangers of the 90s. <laughs> Baby, when you're gone. They... I can't deny that that is... A, a, I don't know whether it's just because it was when we were growing up, so when you hear that song, you associate it with being a child, and that makes you happy. It, I, I don't know, objectively, in 2020, whether that's a good song or not, Mark. I, I I feel like there's a whole podcast of us breaking it down line by line. Put it in comparison, you've got that, or you've got Dane Bowers and Victoria Beckham. Yeah, that's sort of pop music. I'm talking about bands. I kind of feel like there's not a lot of band-on-band band crossover. Uh, no, I know? mean, I think that's the kind of thing that you get more in unique circumstances, like live gigs. Like, do you remember the um, download year where Lars was uh, taken to hospital, so Metallica, Metallica played with, like, a... A rolling cast of drummers. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you get it more in those types of except, um, those circumstances more than you know, like an actual recorded song. Or like, yeah, Jimmy Page coming out on stage with Foo Fighters, didn't he? Yeah. Um, when they played Wembley and stuff like that. Yeah. It's Although I cool guess to... something like Prophets of Rage is is probably, or I guess you know, um, Audio Slave it would be. A, yeah, more... that's a super group though. That's yeah, like a uh, that's like a, a genuine fusion. Yeah, I'm talking true. about like just what about like singles. Paul McCartney being Kurt Cobain in Nirvana and having Pat Smear, Chris Novoselic, and Dave Grohl all on stage and him being the lead singer for that. Yeah, song, that was they? that was the thing they did. That was like, that's six or seven years ago now. Like that's crazy, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I I think I only listened to that song they did like once or twice, and I really like and... it. Go it's okay. It's so weird. It's got like a really heavy sort of riffy groove to it. And he's playing this like weird cigar box guitar. Yeah, well that's like his signature thing that he plays, I think, isn't it? Yeah, but like because they massively tuned it down, because like how much of McCartney's stuff is written probably in registers that like any man of his age probably can't get to anymore. No. But, like it was a really heavy kind of groovy song and you just got like the ethereal... Him doing the Beatles sort of woos over the top of like chunky grunge riffs being played by Pat Smear. It's just, yeah, it's, it's pretty surreal. I, I mean, I guess it's not to too far to removed from what you'd expect from Nirvana anyway, because all of like Kurt's stuff, even though it was sang in his raspy voice, it, it all has that pop sensibilities, and he loved yeah. stuff like the Beatles and ABBA anyway. So, you know, oh, yeah. it, it all mean, fits in one way or another. That's the thing, like, you know you see stuff that people have done with Nirvana songs or have been said or done with Nirvana's sort of intellectual property since Kurt died, that a lot of it you think he's going to absolutely hate this. He would have got a hell of a kick out of seeing Paul McCartney be the front man of Nirvana. Like, it, I think he would have, like, just quite happily let it happen if he was still here with us now as well. So, yeah, that's the preview of our upcoming uh, musical podcast that you can listen to at some point. Um, but in the meantime... <laughs> a lot of dead musicians in there, by the way. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and we were talking about Prince before the podcast as well. Screaming. We were. Uh, have you watched any of the Euro 96 stuff yet? Just to go completely I have, off. Yeah. yeah. So, I re yeah, I rewatched our um, game against Switzerland. And it was like a lot more end-to-end -end than I remembered it. That game could have been like 2-2, two, 3-3. Two, three, three. It, was, it was pretty good. And uh, I think it's our friend Lee, friend of the podcast and uh, co-host of the uh, excellent WCW podcast, Days of Thunder, Lee Malone pointed out on Twitter that Steve McManaman had himself a tournament. And uh, so the two, I've watched two of England's games now, and it must be said, McManaman is actually our best player. And I checked it out, and he did eventually make team of the tournament, but that guy was flying. 
And I honestly hope that's one of the ones where people kind of look back at, uh, at it and they're like, oh, okay, he was really, really good. And the game against Holland, where we beat Holland 4-1, where kind of Alan Shearer, you'd had like a real barren patch in his England career that I think people, again, probably forget now. And like just a sheer relief of him getting those two goals in that game. It really got the tournament off to a start for us. That And then, yeah, the, the game against Scotland is, is phenomenal as well. But... I I don't know again if it's my age, like because it was my first big tournament. But I, I watch it back, and I think it's seeing all the sort of nineties kind of Premier League venues with all of these like mythical players of the past in that I've really enjoyed uh, so far. And yeah, I the last time I watched it, I would have been a single digit age, so it's pretty cool to kind of revisit it. And yeah, we we were thinking of uh, potentially doing something with the uh, Euro ninety six. Uh, commentary because obviously like we normally do something for a tournament so that could be a, a way to go in that but have you watched anything mark and, no uh, i haven't got around to it yet i've i've been mad busy um between work and other bits and pieces and um i haven't checked yet to see like if i actually can watch it because the there's a lot of stuff with the bbc and itv where i just it won't this it's uh, region blocked over here for reasons that are beyond me um, but I haven't actually checked yet to see if that was the case. And I like I don't do great with watching uh, like old football matches uh, in the same way some people don't really enjoy watching older wrestling. Like they only watch it, enjoy watching it in real time. I'm kind of like that with football. But I did want to even highlights. Uh, highlights are different, I guess. Like the, the, yeah. does it have it in highlighted form? Or is it just yeah, I mean, you, you can you can get all of the games on um, on YouTube if you want to go back and like watch all the highlights as well. Okay, yeah, I suppose I can I can go back that way because my memory is like I mean, Euro '96 was the the first tournament that I remember, or I mean, it was around about '95 '96 that I first started getting into football because um, that was like the 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 embryonic stages of. Um, Manchester United with with the likes of Beckham and Giggs, uh, Kane, uh, you know that that kind of generation. Yeah, so the, it's the, the class of '92 are coming through, sort of '95, yeah. '96. That's when Hanson said you will never win anything with kids, and yeah, <laughs> spectacularly wrong, and reminded of it for the next twenty odd years of his life. Um, so that that kind of period is very vivid for me, and and I remember um that tournament, and I remember the game with Germany and everything, and. Uh, everything with the lightning seeds and football's coming home and you know that was a real fun time and it's one of my earliest memories like my memory doesn't go too much further back than that and i'd have been about seven years old at the time i think um so yeah i i I think i should go back at some point at least watch that stuff in in highlight form although i've given myself a, a bunch of things like i'm still working my way through uh community at the moment we're on to season four now <clears throat> and um uh we got that i i got disney plus today so i've started barreling my way through the simpsons so you know i got a bunch of projects that i'm I'm working through but the thing i want to talk about today uh because i've we've been discussing community for the last couple of weeks or so um but i've been watching and in kind of dribs and drabs like maria has it on consistently in the background and i'll hear stuff in the background or i'll come and sit and watch a couple of episodes but i've been watching a ton of modern family and it okay, was a, yeah. it was a show that i i knew of and i'd seen kind of bits and pieces but i'd never like sat down and it's with a whole bunch of shows because i think i remember watching the the pilot episode of community years ago 
Uh, I remember watching like an episode or two of Brooklyn Nine-Nine years ago that I just never kind of sat down and actually watched this stuff. And it's the same with Modern Family. And it just looked like a, a, just a, you know, by-the-numbers American uh, sitcom that had light humor here and there. But we're four seasons in now, and it's a really good show. And, like, I didn't realize that it was actually pretty massive in America and had won a whole bunch of awards. And I didn't realize... Here's how massive it is, right? Sofia Vergara, last year, was the second highest earning actress yeah, in I, the world. Yeah, I, I read about that, which was insane. And, yeah. like, I didn't realize the show, the, the, the show went for 11 seasons, which is just unprecedented um, to have a show go for that long. Because you hear so much about... Uh, shows getting cancelled or whatever the case yeah. may be uh, and obviously you know community is a very uh, obvious example of that at the moment dude friends only went 10 i mean yeah. admittedly they well, stopped it because they couldn't afford to pay them <laughs> yeah that's a slightly yeah, like, different thing i think frasier went 11 series uh i want to say cheers was up there as well but like that those are like few and far between shows yeah and so yeah i'll be curious to see like how because Stuff like Friends, I think Friends is fine throughout some of the later seasons, but it certainly doesn't kind of hit as many home runs as you do in in the first kind of four or five seasons. And I'll be curious to see how how Modern Family kind of runs with that. And you can't expect a show to, you know, you've got the age-old expression of jumping the shark. Uh, And I don't think Friends ever did that. Um, And I'll see, you know, what happens in Modern Family. But it's... I think it's a nice kind of palate cleanser to community because community is so meta and so, you know, it it fucking goes out there in, in episodes. You know, you've got fucking Ben Chang as a Napoleon. You've got the paintballing episodes. You've got fucking Inspector Space Time stuff. You know, it's, it's insane yeah. the kind of stuff that well, it dude, does. Every, like, so the second series, pretty much every episode was themed and centered around some sort of movie reference or idea from, from somewhere. Yeah, like the fucking the is... Law and Order episode with the yam, for fuck's sake. <laughs> so good, though. They even yeah, went oh, it's amazing. redid the titles and stuff from yeah, the yeah. Law and Order style. And, and fuck the, the video game episode that I watched uh, the other night as well, which was incredible. Oh, it's incredible. If only yeah, because... Gus Fring from Bacon, Breaking Bad is like the, the bad guy. And just because Jeff Winger's, Jeff Winger's sprite uh, acts and jumps the same way that Mega Man does, I pop for that. But Modern Family is, is a nice kind of palate cleanser, I guess, because it, you know, it's not as meta and... Um, uh, and I don't think at any point community is pretentious. I don't think that. But it definitely is a, a show that's like, look, it's Dan Harmon saying, look how smart I am and, and being able to reference all these things. And, and he does a really good job of it. You know, I don't take that away from him. But Modern Family is a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say in reality, but I guess it is because it is very much like, hey, here is how a Modern Family might, uh, a scenario might play out between um the, the kind of main family with uh, Phil and um, God, I can't remember the mum's name now. Uh, and then you've got there are so many members of the family. Yeah, this is to me when I've looked what like I've seen bits and episodes and it like you can't even remember the mum's name or whatever. No, but, like I find that overwhelming when I watch it. How many family members there are? But the thing is, and this is one of the the, the, the things that I give credit for for this show is that there isn't really like one member of because you've got 
I think like there's five members in the main family. There's Jay, there's Gloria, and there's uh, Manny. And then you've got um, Cam and the other guy and Lily, their little kid. So you've got a, a whole bunch of family members there. But no one specific member or one specific family is like the centerpiece. You know, you've got... that They kind of give equal time for each episode to each member to kind of tell whatever story they're trying to tell. And it's, it's laid out really evenly uh, and i actually think they did an incredible job with that balancing act and all those plates that they have to spin where even a show like brooklyn 99 you have episodes that are clearly like centered around two specific uh characters um and you know and that's fine uh, there's no issue with doing that but you sometimes you'll have you'll come back to an episode and you realize that um like oh yeah i didn't really thought about boyle for the last two or three episodes because they were focused on whatever was going on over here <laughs> because terry loves yogurt yeah exactly and modern family doesn't do that like every episode you've always got all of the characters involved in some capacity and nothing feels throwaway um, even though the, the, the storyline might be something very simple about like going to the supermarket or can trying to get a job, but they make it funny in a way that does seem absurd, but still is based enough in reality. And, uh, I don't know. I've, I've been really enjoying it. Like it, it's nothing that is, is particularly clever. Um, but I do think the writing is pretty snappy and pretty funny, very funny at points actually. And, uh, and yeah, like we've, we've breezed through the the first three or four uh, seasons pretty easily and uh it's had a couple of moments that have, have nearly brought me to tears um like one of the daughters goes away to to university and how that whole thing plays out is, is actually really well done and uh and phil is just like that dad who means well but he's kind of an idiot and it's just it, yeah I, I just have been enjoying the show you know in it why do i feel like that is just the standard dad character in every sitcom um, I never feel like they do a lot with the dad characters in sitcoms. They're always kind of a little bit like, you know, they've never really fully got their shit together. Or, well, I guess or, like the, know, the quintessential dad character is Homer Simpson, and he... <laughs> is that the quintessential? No, dad but character? in terms of in terms of like that description of like a dad who means well but is an idiot, like you can't. That's early. Uh, early Homer was like that. Like I, I about seasons six seven maybe eight like he just turned into what they call jerk ass homer and he was just he was terrible he was a terrible human being because the show stopped being about Bart and started being about homer mm, i suppose um yeah and then family guy is just like peter griffin is homer simpson but, but ramped like up to turned 10. up to 11 yeah, yeah, yeah exactly um i don't know you know like ray romano and everybody loves yes. raymond which is a that great show, by the way. Character. I'm just yeah, I, it's subtle, but it's good. Yeah. Like it, it feels real. That's a show that it never really takes a flight in fancy. You know, it's like within a few seasons in The Simpsons, like maybe was it five six? They were like, right, Homer goes to space. Nothing that happens in Everybody Loves Raymond is ever like way above the the sort of radar of of, of you know the reality of 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 life. Yeah, and I think Modern There's Family never... is is similar in in that regard. Yeah. But yeah, it's, you know, the stuff that happens in The Simpsons, so The Simpsons, obviously it's a cartoon, so it can be kind of whatever it wants to be, like, you know, they would all be world famous for, for the people that they are. Um, and there's a lot of shows like that where they just kind of run out of ideas and end up just going to sort of silly town and yeah, uh, it never really happened too much in Everybody Loves Raymond. 
Yeah, and I'll, you know, I, I could see that happening with Modern Family in some of the later seasons because, as mentioned, they do such a good job in making sure that all the characters have their their things that they're doing. Uh, and then on top of that as well, like all the characters have their own unique relationship with the other characters. Like you've got one of the kids uh, in the main family and their relationship with like Jay or like Manny and his relationship with Cam. Like they, they find a way to give, even if it's, you know, just one moment in a particular episode, they, uh, they do make them all interact in their own unique ways and they all have their own unique relationships. And I, I don't know, it's, it's surprising uh, how much uh, of a laugh they've actually gotten out of this show. Um, because compared to the two things I've been watching, which has been Brooklyn Nine-Nine and, and Community, you know, I've really been enjoying those shows, and but I've been getting different things out of those shows, which doesn't come as a surprise, because they are, even though they're all sitcoms in their own ways, they're all uh, they're all funny in their own ways. And I think part of it is because Modern Family does goes for the, the mockumentary thing, and so you have these moments where the characters are sitting down and they're reacting to something that's happened or is going to happen and they have a really good way of like lining up a joke or coming out of a joke from that uh in a way that the other two shows can't do hmm. yeah okay uh, at some point i probably will watch it especially if this the uh, situation continues because you just get to a point where you're like well i haven't tried this yet so <laughs> fuck it <laughs> it's gonna be the right direction yeah so that's that's pretty much me in terms of my viewing habits what about you uh, so I finally finished off like uh, a four-season documentary uh, series called Hip Hop e Evolution, which I won't talk about too much. But I will just say that um, as a as a kind of a, a fan of hip hop music, uh, you're a fan of the hippity hoppity, are you? Yeah, I would say I'm a pretty big fan of of. I do like listen to quite a lot of hip hop. Um, majority like west coast or like if the east coast stuff is kind of like the early 90s stuff like you know Illmatic by Nas or like early Jay-Z stuff or you know like bit Notorious B.I.G.'s like album is Born to Die is fucking class but anyway like I because I kind of had to come to hip-hop like my, you know you know my my dad Mark is not even remotely interested in anything that isn't you know Deep classic rock from the yeah, from the 70s and 80s. So, like, I had to kind of go plow my own path with hip-hop. So it's good to, like, get a real kind of dissection of, like, where a lot of these a lot of these sounds and a lot of these musical traditions that exist within hip-hop evolve from. And just watching it, it kind of felt like a pretty cool, um, like, urban history of the United States because... You know, there's a lot of parts of America, really, that it, it they're, they're like different ecosystems. They're like different countries. Like the states of America are so vast with so many different populations. And it's just a really cool to be able to see like, right, we're going to focus in on, on Houston and we're going to look at all the people uh, like that came out of Houston sound. And yeah, right. Let's focus on Atlanta. And you're like, oh, OK, so there's like Outcast, And then like more recently, like Migos and stuff. Okay, yeah, let's focus on the whole gangster rap era. But instead of just focusing specifically on the gangster rap era, they're like, right, so what was South Central Los Angeles like that, that made the sound of the music like this? And, you know, like in, in Houston, for instance, they were like, right, what made that specific brand of hip-hop, you know, like, and, and the people that at street level kind of influenced the sound and had to grow it because it had to grow in a much more natural way than a lot of, of of music that you kind of hear in the charts because 
you know, like, uh, without sounding too, like, overly socially conscious, like, the history of black people in America, there's a lot of oppression there, right? Cause there's a lot well, of... Yeah, I mean, hip-hop by, like... I wouldn't say by design, but hip hop has always kind of been the counterculture. Like you, you know, like yeah. I, if you want to say white music, it has its moments where it's counterculture with grunge or punk or whatever. But hip hop throughout has always pretty much been counterculture, just because, unfortunately, um, racial prejudice. Exactly. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of racial prejudice in America, and and it's just interesting to see how these scenes kind of grew out of of really small acorns and just like complete like a social like a real social community type situation that was built in a lot of these areas to bring this music kind of to the forefront to sort of take the whole you know sound of american popular music and drag it kicking and screaming over to, towards listening to more hip-hop you know and it wasn't really till we got to the dre of it all like the chronic and the sort of death row records thing that was going on with tupac and snoop dogg as well that it became that popular but like you've got like a good 10 or 15 years of history before that of it just gradually ascending and yeah yeah I, it, well, does it, it, it was does it start with stuff like grandmaster flash and the sugar hill gang that kind of stuff oh yeah exactly yeah so yeah but they are like and towards the start of the documentary uh, and yeah it just progresses and goes through all the different areas and you know like there's a lot focused on new york because a lot of sounds and things come from new york you know like nas and wu-tang and you know, different, like, different borrowers have got different sounds. It's crazy. Like, it, it's, yeah, there's so much diversity of, kind of, location and, and musical interest. But, yeah, as a, as a fan of music documentaries, and if anyone has, like, even a passing interest, not just in, in hip-hop culture or music, but just sort of the social history of various areas of the United States, it, it's a real interesting one. I, I think I definitely want to give that a listen. I mean, my my hip hop is is mostly focused in like late eighties to mid nineties. Uh, I don't yeah. really kind of verge too far outside that uh, that period. But no, I, I think I definitely want to give that a watch. I mean, uh, modern hip hop. I don't listen to too much of. Uh, I I kind of I like say so from the UK stuff. I kind of like Stormzy. I think he's cool. Uh, I, I've always kind of liked Dizzy Rascal, um, ever since Boy in the Corner, just, you know, like, like what he does, but I, I do, the majority of stuff I do listen to tends to be American, and more recently, I think Kendrick Lamar is by yeah, far Kendrick's the good. best, uh, artist that, that come out of that scene in the last few years. There's a few other cool people, like, I don't hate Drake, I think Drake's cool, like, he's pretty mainstream, uh, as, and like the most streamed artist on Spotify in the last decade, so he's doing all right for himself at this point. Uh, and yeah, there's some good stuff, but you're right, like that. A lot of that historical stuff is better, and also a lot of the time it's just because it kind of means a lot. Like the lyrical content has a has a feel to it. Like you know, Ice Cube self confessed he came out. He said he wanted to be like the Malcolm X of hip hop. Yeah, you know, like there is, <laughs> there's like a there's a injustice and and social conscience like burning up, yeah, and you get from that to like you know, Fifty Cent singing about candy shop and sure, the but I mean, I think you've got like a it's it's a uh, it goes in a cycle because you've got the, like the modern day equivalent would be something like this is America, you know, like you still exactly, get yeah. that kind of social and political commentary. Yeah, oh, of course, it's always going to be out there, but I think when it went mainstream, like, they cover the whole sort of, uh, bad boy, uh, puffy, uh, puff, well, at the time, puff daddyification 
of music and taken that sort of like new jack swing sound. I mean, I've got to be honest, you could throw Will Smith in there as well to some degree. Yeah, Will Smith, funnily enough, wasn't featured in, in the documentary. Um, like, I like Will Smith, but I mean, Wiki Wild Wild West, come on now. Listen, don't mess with Jim West Desperado, <laughs> Rough Rider. You don't want none of this. Yeah, 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 I know. I, I get it. I get it, yeah, but, but still. Yeah. Okay, so that was cool. Uh, still watching The Last Dance. Uh, the last two episodes are next week, so I think me and Dave will probably wrap that up next week. Uh, and two new episodes of Rick and Morty. Now, I don't know... I know you've watched Rick and Morty, Mark, but have you watched the two newer episodes of the show? I haven't watched anything past season three. Okay, cool. Um, so the first few episodes of season four, like they've released it five and then they're doing another five. So the last two episodes of Rick and Morty have been absolutely mind-bendingly strange. All right. So you have the first episode where... What kind of curve are we grading on here? Because, you know, this is Rick and Morty we're talking about. Yeah, like even for Rick and Morty, it's been bizarre. Okay, so the first episode of, of the two new episodes uh, is, is set on like a, a train that has a guy who... The guy who drives the train is, like, the plot narrator, like, the overarching writer of all these weird scenarios. And they keep moving from carriage to carriage into, like, these weird existential planes, and you're not really sure ever what's going on. And it just... They they leave... that what At one point, what they think is this thing that they bought, which is this toy, which, you know, you kind of create your own narratives within the toy, and it has a realistic feel to it. But then they realise that they're still inside it, and it just... It becomes meta upon meta upon meta to the point where you just really have no fucking concept of, of what's going on. Uh, and that was just odd. And then the How very Dan episode, I mean, so... But, like, it kind of like he's just like, I really fucking just want to confuse people here. Like, it felt like he was actually trying to alienate people. In a good way, but like it was, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty mad. That, that reminds me, oh fuck, what episode, I think there was an episode in season three, yeah. uh, fuck, what is it? There's a bit and, um, Pierce just appears and he's just like, I have no idea what the hell's going on and then just leaves the scene. And it's like the only oh, thing I think he does in the episode. Yeah. Yeah, he probably, probably like read the script Chevy Chase and he's like, this is bullshit. I don't want to learn my lines here. <laughs> and he's like, how about we just have Piers turn up and say, I can't be fucked with this. And then, yeah. yeah. To be fair, my favourite Piers in Community uh, is when they're trying to sit down and play D&D to cheer up Neil. And yeah. he's just like, well, I'll take your fucking sword and just wipe my ass with it. <laughs> and then leaves, uh, which is just great because he looks devastated. Which is but how yeah. I play D&D, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. The second episode of Rick and Morty is one of those ones where it's like, it starts halfway through the episode, and then halfway through the episode is the start of the story, and it's just a mixed up Pulp Fiction-like timeline of, like, their bodies being possessed by these weird, like, like, black things that, like, be parasitic and lay an egg in your stomach and then you explode. It's Can you imagine just, what would happen yeah. if you got Dan Harmon, Quentin Tarantino, and Christopher Nolan in a room and just went, give me a script? Wow. Uh, I don't know. Would it be better than the Thousand Monkeys working the Thousand Typewriters? Who knows? No, who knows? I feel like all three of those people individually would be very difficult to deal with mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to think, like kind of working collaboratively with each, uh, collaboratively with each other. Like, I just don't think that would work, but you know what? If I was like a billionaire, Mark, I'd be like, right, here's a hundred million pounds each 
for you to, to figure it out and I want a movie. Can you, uh, can so you imagine the context? The, these last couple of episodes, they're confusing, but are they good? Y- yes, they're good, okay. but they're strange. Like, I'd say it had less laugh-out-loud moments. And it's something I've noticed within Rick and Morty, is that kind of, to me, it feels like it's it's not getting... Well, I'd say it's getting a bit less funny, because it's a bit less gimmicky. Uh, except maybe the... Uh, the I think it was like the second or third episode. There's a bunch of slutty dragons, which is the yeah. slut dragons. Uh, that was what I was trying yeah. to think of. The fucking slut dragons. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's that. Um, that's that's the start of season four. Um, that was the last episode where I was just like, yeah, they've gone full like that. That is full weird, creepy Dan Harmon humor. But I, I think it's less. There's less laughs per episode, but the episodes themselves are like. It's kind of more interesting storytelling and weird, like, narrative displacement that, I, that I'm starting to enjoy from Rick and Morty in this season. Right, so maybe it is season four that I have watched then, because I know there's... That, is there an episode in the season that's very much a Terminator uh, spin-off or Terminator yeah. reference? Yeah. Okay, so I've seen season four then. I got, yeah. I got lo- lost track of where I was in the, in the show's history. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that's pretty much what I've been... And, and then just binging my way through the Simpsons. I'm up to season 14 of the Simpsons nearly Jesus now. Christ. <laughs> Just binging my way through it, yeah. I, uh, so I'm, I'm like four or five episodes into season one, and I remember that season one does start off a bit slow, because um, like I've just finished the episode where uh, Lisa is sad and, and she's playing uh, the saxophone, and like, there's no episode yet, and I'm I'm watching it while I'm working. But there's no episode yet that's kind of like drawn my attention or got a, a, a laugh out loud from me. But I do remember season one is a bit slow to start with. Yeah, season one, they didn't know what the show was in season no. one. I don't think. Uh, like, there's a lot, and of, I think the like, animation's just a little bit too rough for me. It's it's rough, but kind of that is where it was at the time with the budget they had. But so there's like a little, there's a lot of kind of over the top music cues and it's a little sappy in general. And then it kind of sort of season, back end of season two, start of season three is when it really starts finding its feet. And season four and five are just absolute masterpieces between the two of them. Uh, Yeah. And yeah, later as it gets on, I'll be interested to see how long it holds my attention because I'm sort of getting to the end of episodes now that I don't remember. So I'm like, mm, I don't know what happens here, which is, it's nice in a way, but uh, the quality is not, uh, as, not as elite as it, as it was earlier on. And you know what? There's still 20 seasons or something well, I was going to say, we're, we're talking about like fucking Friends and Modern Family with 10 or 11 seasons, but that fucking Simpsons show, Jesus, like... Yeah, longest yeah, running sitcom of all time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I yeah. would say it's somewhat past its sell-by date. There's still there's still the odd good episode every now and then, but yeah, I think it, it goes on because Fox they just don't have anything else to replace it really. How many seasons yeah. South Park been going for now? They must be up to about twenty at least. Yeah, that's Comedy Central though, and mm. they still have Family Guy, which is in I think Family Guy is in like season fifteen or sixteen. I can't even remember the last time I sat down and watched an episode. Of even it, even I like I I had I think the first five box sets of Family Guy, and about halfway through season four, I just I had enough. Uh, the idea of doing 15 seasons of that hmm, it seems a bit excessive. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The the overarching narrative storytelling of that is so bad that you tend to just remember moments from episodes. 
Aside from the episodes where Brian and Shuey go off and do something in history or something that's pretty cool, which yeah. kind of does feel very Rick and Morty-esque, although they were doing it first, obviously. But yeah, it's, it's, it, it, you're just like, oh, I remember that moment when this happened, but you were like, wait, what episode was that in? <laughs> and then you look at the storyline of the episode and you don't remember anything else that happened in it. That's you know, I just it. realized, I've just realized me trying to timestamp this show is going to be a fucking nightmare. Yes, it is. Congratulations. <laughs> Shall we talk about some video games news now? Actually, there's one last thing I want to uh, mention because I managed to watch this morning the uh, antiviral wipe, uh, screen wipe. Oh, episode. God, yeah. How good is it? Yeah, it's like anytime you have Charlie Brooker on my screen, um, I'm going to enjoy it to some capacity. And I will say, like, his general format, um, you know, I wouldn't say it's exactly changed in the last. 10 years or so and it i do think changed that changed at all though has it really yeah and like the he's annual screen wipe things you know each year there is a little bit of the kind of law of diminishing returns and like i go back to some of those early strong disagree i, nah. I think they're all just as good as each other i the thing is right i, I think partly is because i go back to um is it because the years are getting worse no what's well, happening um... in the years are awful <laughs> Yeah, was it was it twenty sixteen in particular where the, the, the last like the Brexit five minutes Trump. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. like the the original show in its original incarnation on BBC, um, where he talks a lot more about like the what goes into actually filming a show or like how a news piece is created, like a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and like his more commentary on on television shows he's watching and that sort of stuff i do think i prefer that more just because i think it's a lot more insightful i guess um yeah but then you've got like a focus of it being about tv like so the episode where he makes a fake bbc3 documentary about guys who find it that have difficulty peeing around other guys in public yes which and completely then... ruined elbow for me yeah, and then they all yeah. go to that hill and like yeah. the, um <laughs> one day like this place one day out like this. And they yeah, all... yeah. And he gets Connie Huck to present it. I, I, I popped so huge for Connie Huck. Um, you know, him just throwing a bunch of fairy liquid bottles and like a pipe cleaner out and being like, you used to be a blue preacher presenter, make me a ventilator. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Uh, but yeah, I, I love Charlie Brooker's style of humour. I actually don't think there's anything like it anywhere else on TV. Uh, no, and, that is absolutely true. Near. I, I don't think, you know, Have I Got News For You satiric, satirically has always been good because Paul Merton and Ian Hislop are very adept at like cutting a, a news story apart. But to be fair, I don't see any better satirists around than Charlie Brooker. I, I, he's my favourite and it's frustrating because he's been so successful and like so I'm happy for him because he's probably made his money, which he, he kind of deserves for the creativity and like the intelligence that he has with black mirror but it's like mm, i would still like you i would still like a news wipe here or like a politics wipe or the video games thing you did you know like it's been a while since i've seen biggest cocks in advertising market but <laughs> i want a new one so uh, i mean like i guess since broker has stopped doing the, the satirical stuff the two people that i i go to for for like it's not television content it's it's written content but like frankie Boyle's um stuff that he writes every now and again it's funny like, yeah Art is incredible, and Marina Hyde, uh, who has yeah. a column out every couple of days, her stuff has been, you know, just every single fucking column uh, is is just like biting satire, at, usually aimed at our our government, and it's not that hard to take pot shots, but she does it, and she and her Twitter game is is strong as well. 
Um, so yeah, they're the two people that I, I tend to look for when it comes to satirical stuff these days. When he uh, when he calls Boris Johnson a bumbling womble last <laughs> night, like to a scene of Boris Johnson sort of like hopping around in a sort of hazmat style suit around somewhere, I was just like, oh, that is perfect. Because it was, like, the clip and the, the assessment of him as a Womble just went over so well. But, yeah, I I, 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 I can see where you're coming from with the you don't like it as much stuff, but to be fair, it's I not that, look it's just, forward to it does the feel... end of years green wipes so much. And he yeah. hasn't done one for a couple of years now. Which, and which I'm all, I mean, I am always happy to see Barry shit peas, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, um, but shit peas and kunk are usually highlights of anything. Um, but although that man has not aged in ten years, like he looks, ex- it's that it's the the DDP trope of look or not DDP. Who am I thinking of? Uh, the Arn Anderson thing of looking forty for about forty years. Uh, you know. <laughs> it's one way of doing it. You know, you kind of suffer early on, but then it makes more sense as you get older and older. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's move on from from the TV. Uh, Jack, you've been playing a game that. Uh, was I have no idea which episode it was in a, in our book club series, but I know we've definitely discussed it before. You've been playing GTA Four, yeah. Uh, I went back and played some GTA Four on my Xbox One, funnily enough, because uh, GTA Four still not available weirdly on PlayStation Four. Uh, not that like that's a huge deal. Uh, I'm sure they don't care because of all of the ridiculous amounts. Because of money. GTA Five. <laughs> money and money they're making from GTA 5 but yeah I went back and you know what I really like the whole story craft structure of GTA 4 like I'm really enjoying the game because I think Nico is actually a protagonist that I care about and I don't like GTA 5 it was hard to really care about any of the guys in it like Trevor was the funnest to be because he was a homicidal maniac, but you didn't actually give a shit about him. And then if you go back through the other things, like CJ, I didn't feel that close to. Like, I don't really get the whole kind of gang feeling as much, although I had fun during the game. Tommy Vassetti is even more of a homicidal maniac than Trevor in GTA Five, But N- Nico, like... And, you know, Claude in GTA 3 is just a mute um, with a leather jacket. But I think the best character that they've done in terms of having, like, a believable story, like, me actually wanting to root for him and and him want, like actually wanting good things to happen to this guy, you know. He's had a troubled time. He's had to come over here. Something went wrong in his home country and he, and he, he makes his way over to, to New York, as so many people have done, you know, the, the American dream over the years gone through the ports of New York and and try to make a life for themselves and him and his cousin and upon you know his cousin's so happy to see him uh, Roman like at the start of the game and during the course of the game it kind of like every time they try and make things better for themselves they end up making it worse Uh, and there's some really poignant stuff in the game that I, I haven't gotten so deep into it yet but, you know, I kind of was reminded, like, when, when characters pop up for the first time or whatever, that that game had, to me, the most interesting narrative structure and arc of any of the Grand Theft Auto games. I don't know what you think about that, Mark. Uh, so I was one of the people that I really liked GTA 4 at the time it was released, and, and when I think of it retrospectively, though I've not gone back to the game in a long time. But I do remember 
though it reviewed well at the time, I did know or hear from people that didn't like it as much. One, because uh, Liberty City was a lot smaller than San Andreas, um, though obviously it's a lot more detailed and there's a lot more going on within that world of Liberty City. So, you know, it's still a big world, but obviously San Andreas was, was insane. Um, and the the story in Nico was a little bit more, I guess, because it was a lot more kind of grounded in reality than, you know, we were still coming off of the back of uh, Vice City and, and elements of San Andreas, I guess, that the attempts to kind of ground it in reality took away some of the, the fun and the, the craziness and the spectacle that was in those last two games. But I was totally fine with that. I was Because you can only go so far in one direction, in, in a specific direction, and then you're in space. And you... That would have been, you know, that would have been Saints Row. And Saints Row exists. And we didn't need another Saints Row. Though I don't think that was... Saints Row 3 would have been released at the time. So they went the opposite direction. They went for the more... Ground in reality, you know, sure, it does the American Dream thing, which is the pretty much the idea of the rags to riches that exist throughout the the gta games but it's from this direction of um this guy coming over from eastern europe and trying to you know just make a better life for himself and i i always you know i have fond memories of that game and that story and it has some very poignant moments that again i've not encountered in many years but uh i by the time i got to the end of that game i thought that it was very effective in the the story that it was trying to tell um and and i have fond memories of it just as well because it was the first time that we had gta online uh and flying around in helicopters and shooting rockets at each other was was fun to do when i was you know in university in my first and second year and still fun now i'm sure if you i'm sure it would it. be i'm sure it would be yeah yeah i i think because people kind of wanted the wackiness from gta and, you know, we since have had the wackiness from, like, the Saints Rose of it all. And I think GTA V was a good balance of the wacky and the sort of more grounded story. Like, they tried to kind of balance both of it in that game, and I enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> well, in fairness, they balanced it by just having three characters that were all completely, uh, like, rooted in different characters throughout the, the years. Yeah, agreed. Um, but that, to me, that was, like, an interesting way of handling that situation but now i can go back and play gta 4 and i can enjoy it for what it was trying to be which was trying to be a gta 4 game yeah how does it hold a up visually game. yeah sorry how does it hold up visually i think it's fine like i am um, you know it's not gta 5 obviously but even gta 5 now probably by a lot of graphical standards you know is not quite it's not quite the top the tippy top of the of the chain but I think it still looks good. Like, there's not a huge amount of drop-off, really, in in my head from GTA 4 and GTA 5 when I'm going back and looking at it. Um, so yeah, I I just think, I I just think it's a it's a misunderstood. Like, a, if it's misremembered badly, or if it's remembered badly, it's misremembered because I think it's a good game. Uh, that that really should get that. Aside of it, I think when people think Rockstar and they think story, they're always going to go with the Red Dead games, but GTA 4, like, I think they had a good stab at trying to make something a bit more affecting in an emotional way. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Cool. Thanks. It's been a while since I thought about GTA 4, and I actually... Yeah, I, that's why I started playing it. Like, yeah. 
I uh, I downloaded GTA Five today from the Epic Store, which we'll talk about in the in the news. And um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down with that for a little bit here and there. I don't know how much of it I'll play, but it's it's been a while since I've dived into uh, a Rockstar game because I still haven't touched Red Dead Two, and uh, <gasps> it, it is it is on my list to do at some point. Like I I, I will probably get it and play it on my PC, um, but you know I've. I've just got Final Fantasy VII, um, so you know I've I've got one game that's going to take me the best part of a week to get through before I think about another one. Uh, I have been still playing Doom. Uh, I did uh, an episode the other night or level the other night that I streamed. I think I'm coming towards the end of that game now. Not much to say that I haven't said already. It's just even getting into that world. Uh, and and doing a level and just getting that adrenaline going. It's like you know doing a bit of exercise. You just do a bit of exercise and you you feel pumped up afterwards. Uh, it's kind of that same feeling. Obviously, it's not as good for me uh, physically, you know, benefits wise, as actually doing exercise. But the adrenaline just gets pumping every time, and you know, just the the connection and the symphony between the music and the the, the gameplay. It's just it's a perfect experience, and I do think that. I, I prefer the the key the cohesion that you get with the level design in Doom 2016, um, and I see what they were trying to go for. And we we've discussed on on the show about the the emphasis and platforming they do here, but I, I do think I prefer the the more streamlined approach that is in Doom 2016. But I also appreciate what they try to do with uh, with Eternal. So um, yeah, doing a bit of that. Still playing a bunch of Cuphead, trying to do the no hit runs. Um, you crazy, crazy man. Yeah, I. you know what? Like, I think about where I was two, three years ago when I played that game for the first time. And I remember I took on Jimmy the Great, who's the genie. And I spent about two hours and I couldn't beat him. And I had to just go to bed and come back to it the next day. And I finally managed to beat him. And I did a recording the other night to try and beat him and do a, a, a no-hit, like a perfect run, like an A-plus score. And it took me about half an hour, but I did it in half an hour. Uh, which, you know, I don't know what that means exactly, but I'm happy that I was able to do it. Too much spare time is what it probably means. I was going to go with raw talent and natural ability, but if you want to go for your uh, perspective, <laughs> that's fine, I guess. No, I respect it. Um, I never in a million years would want to put myself <laughs> through something like that. So, yeah, you go right ahead, mate. <laughs> At yeah. least one of us on the podcast can do that. Yeah, but I still haven't done the dragon yet, so we'll see what happens. And then I was oh, playing... Yeah. Sorry. I was going to say, oh yeah, good luck with that dragon. Yeah, and also yeah, King yeah. Dice. Yeah, and King Dice, yeah. Uh, and then I was playing a whole bunch of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 yesterday, because uh, I started playing that a couple of weeks ago as just like a, a random thing to do in a stream. And I decided to go back to it yesterday because, and I guess we can segue this into the news. Um, they <laughs> So Tony Hawk uh, started by texting and then decided to drop a bomb and that is that we are getting a, a remaster of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, which has been announced for September. So uh, this was, uh, there was a whole stream about this with Jeff Keighley as part of his Summer Games Festival uh, project that he has. And there was, uh, I think it was like a half hour stream or so with him and Tony Hawk talking about it. There was a gameplay trailer and... I am quietly confident, Jack, that at least, if nothing else, this will be better than the 2012 remaster. 
Yeah, you would it it would stand to think so, right? And the most gameplay footage I actually saw of it is Tony Hawk was on Jack Black's YouTube channel, Jablinski Gaming, which I'd say about three or four percent of the time he's playing games, and the rest of the time he's just professionally being Jack Black. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which is probably more entertaining than singing, because he's not great at video games, but they had like extended footage of Warehouse, the first level of Tony Hawk's 1, and it, Mark, it just does look incredible. It, it looks amazing, and it kind of looks like it... I, I need to obviously play it, but it looks like it would feel right, if you know what I mean. Tony Hawk's 5 and the remaster games didn't really feel right. There was like a weird... Like a weird dissonance there between what a Tony Hawk game should should control like and what they actually controlled like. Like things just felt a bit sluggish. The animations didn't feel as natural. Like the the, the thing that I love the most, and I think Tony Hawk 2 really perfected it, is just how kinetic everything happening in a Tony Hawk game is. How natural every movement feels. Like there's no let up like it you just pick it up and it's go like it's such a fast paced game and it's really easy to get into from that but not in a stressful way like kind of like you described with doom where it's like very intense or whatever you pick up a tony hawk game and you know even a even a really basic player could be doing death defying cool stuff within playing like five ten minutes of that game right they just feel so good uh, or, or am i pitching out weirdness right now no you're you're right and the the big thing there that you mentioned is about the feel of Tony Hawk's Five and the twenty twelve remaster and yeah that's that's going to be the big thing because this game can look as pretty as as it wants to but oh, it looks it, so pretty <laughs> but if it does yeah but if it doesn't translate in terms of the gameplay it's going to all be for null but the fact that they've got former NeverSoft employees working on this. And the fact that this is being done by Vicarious Visions, who did the Crash uh, Crash Bandicoot remaster and the uh, Crash Team Racing remaster, like you know, this is a team that at least has a bit of bite to um, to like their history in terms of the stuff they've worked on. Uh, so I'm you know confident in regards to to that. Um, what's also going to be interesting is they applying a bunch of as far as i'm aware they're applying a bunch of features from the later games so the spine transfer of the reverb that kind of stuff and flat i saw flatland manual tricks and got really excited yeah but you know these aren't levels that were made with that sort of stuff in mind so are they going to expand on the original levels to um incorporate those kinds of tricks are they gonna like up the the professional and high scores in each of the levels because it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to get those high scores even with just the revert let alone everything else like i'm going to be really curious to see how they um update the levels not just graphically but with those features in mind yeah i guess they well because there's quite a lot of levels isn't there if you add all of the tony hawks one and two levels together you get like a good 15 20 levels so I would imagine that, yeah, it just is like a, a escalating difficulty curve getting harder and harder throughout the game. And, like, you just kind of learn your craft at the warehouses of the world before you, you know, work your way up to the more tricky things. Um, so I don't know, but I you would like to think they'd find a nice way to balance the difficulty curve in the game to, to make it feel like that bit challenging if you wanted to 
set like a ridiculous score. Like, you know, like, it, it's not inconceivable to get with all of the reverts and flatland manuals and special tricks the way they are, uh, maxing the stat points out. Because I do think a lot of what you've just said is kind of if they get the the stat points like the way that you accumulate them in the game evenly spread out so that you're not overpowered after like two or three levels then that will probably be the way of doing it uh and yeah it's it's not crazy to think that you and online multiplayer points. they got fucking online multiplayer yeah it, you have to though really don't you like, that would have been an ins insane uh admission if they hadn't got that in to be honest exactly yeah and i'm gonna play your horse and probably defeat you and be glorious in my victory so just warning you that that's gonna happen challenge accepted can i say right here's here's the one thing i want to say everyone's been freaking out about the fact that they've got the original soundtrack in and that they're going to be able to listen to superman by goldfinger but here's here's the thing right i didn't come to tony hawks until the second one so when i think about those first couple of games i think about gorilla radio that's my yeah. song that's my soundtrack for tony hawks not goldfinger yeah yeah, I guess so. Like, I love Guerrilla Radio as well, but you can't play the first one and not just... The two songs from the first game that get me are obviously Superman, but also Jerry was a race car, race driver, car driver by Primer. Because me and Biggs played, like, the, the, the warehouse level that was on the demo, uh, me and my friend Matt Biggs, over and over and over again, and the only song that was on that demo was Jerry was a race car driver. And I'd never heard Primus before that moment, Mark, in the, in the late nineties. <laughs> and yeah, by by the by the end of that day of playing it for like hours, I knew every goddamn word. Jerry was a race car driver, so yeah. And what, was, a uh, what a poet! What what a poet! Exactly. Uh, yeah. But that's the, the Tony Hawk games have always had great soundtracks. Like there's ten, fifteen songs on the Tony Hawk game where you're just like, yes, every time it comes on. So I I feel like. The Gorilla Radio, sure, but there's something about Superman by Goldfinger. There's just an unbridled joy of that sort of ska-punk era. The good, the good songs, they're few and far between, but the good ones are really good, and, and that's a good one. I'm not sure if I want a revival of ska out of this. Like, no, I, I find don't Scar want a revival. I don't want a ska. There's been a lot of ska yeah, uh, I think Scar's done. Uh, you know, maybe in, you know, is Scar maybe... done? Is it ever done? Uh, well, you know, it's it's great art ever finished, Mark. Who knows? I sure well, as hell don't. Uh, that's there's some serious subjectivity going on there on the word great, uh, and even art when it comes to Scar. But moving on, uh, yeah. Square Enix store offers free face mask if you spend over a hundred dollars. Um, fans in How the US were alerted. Fans in the US were alerted to the promotional offer last night by an email. Uh, this was uh, from the twelfth of May. Uh, by an email from the Final Fantasy publisher, boost your vitality plus one. Customers were told free Square Enix members uh, face mask with any physical order over a hundred dollars. The design uh, appears to be a simple black cloth design with the uh, Square Enix members logo imprinted on the front. <sighs> yeah, I mean, honestly, like, if you wanted to do a publicity stunt with this, you should have probably just given them for free or made them as something that you can buy uh, with an, a, a, an order a lot less than $100. But hey, Square Enix and publishers in general, they're usually awful. 
I can't say I'm thrilled about this, but hey, what are you going to do? It kind of feels like a little bit of a disgusting promotional tactic to kind of quote a Dave Meltzer. I, I just think, like, oh yeah, spend $100, by the way. You know, in an era of, of history where people might not ha- like be working, or they might be on a furlough scheme, or they might have just completely lost their jobs and not have a lot of money, and they're like, right, well, if you're on the mask, you got to pay out $100 in our store to get it for free. I just think it's a very odd decision, very odd timing, and just like a little bit of a PR own goal, but like there's so much weirdness and darkness in the news at the moment that it's very difficult for something like this to make too many waves. I mean, what would you rather see less on a person, a Square Enix member's face mask or an American flag as a face mask? I'd rather I'd rather see the American flag because I'm like you probably got that from your local corner store for a few bucks. You didn't have to shell out a hundred quid <laughs> to get your Square Enix face mask. I could make a Square Enix face mask by just cutting off a sock and just like drawing the Square Enix logo on myself with Tipex. So yeah, then maybe people think I'm gonna spend a hundred dollars and a liquid. So are you, are you fuck. not officially a Square Enix member then? Uh, I'm not a Square Enix member, no. I like a lot of Square Enix things, but I would not classify myself as a member. Actually, I've no idea. Do, do, do they have, like, you know, Rockstar has its own launcher, you, uh, Ubisoft has Uplay. I don't, does Square Enix have its own propriety, I, like, thing? I don't think they do. They might, though. I don't want to say they don't, because they probably do. Like, did you have to log into anything when you started playing Final Fantasy VII? the remaster obviously oh i actually think i might i might have done something with that created a, an account or something like that yeah it sounds about right yeah uh i actually think that there might have been something along those lines when i went into that game i can't remember because i'm just excited although i've yet to finish the game so that shows you that my excitement level maybe hasn't fully Held its own, but we'll do a we'll do a full breakdown of Final Fantasy VII when the you and Dave have kind of all got through it. Uh, maybe that might come at the end of the year. Who knows? All right. Okay. Uh, as expected, Nintendo is taking action to try and scrub the eye-catching, unofficial Super Mario 64 PC port from the internet, but it faces an uphill struggle. This week, Torrent Freak reported on how the Super Mario 64 PC port executable had disappeared from some file hosting sites, pointing to a Digital Millennium Copyright Act DMCA takedown from US-based law firm Wildwood Law Group LLC, a company said to be working on behalf of Nintendo of a Google Drive link that had done the rounds. So, this uh, PC port, I think we mentioned it last week, maybe I feel like we did, but if not um, there was a, a PC port that was released that was uh, basically a widescreen you know, 4K rendering of uh, Mario 64. And now there are like emulators of the game that exist and ROMs of the game, sorry, uh, that exist that basically is just like the direct copy of the game onto a ROM. But this was an attempt to make it as... Uh, playable in in a modern format, I guess, as you can get. And I'd seen some some clips of it being played, and it looked obviously for a, a 1995, 96 game. Uh, it looked as pretty as it could be. It looked, you know, it looked as clean as it could. And just seeing it in widescreen was mad. Uh, and and as soon as I saw that, I was like, well, I give it a week until Nintendo try and take it down. 
Um, carrying on, the, the copyrighted work is Nintendo's Super Mario 64 video game, including the audio-visual work, software, and fictional character uh, depictions covered by US copyright registry number, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so, yeah, as you can imagine, Nintendo have been trying to take this down, and as you can imagine, because there is a file of this out there, it's going to keep popping up. Uh, you know, you cut one head off and three more appear. Any of this surprise you at all? <laughs> Are you saying like are you saying this port's like Hydra basically? I'm not saying this port is like Hydra, no, but what I'm saying is if you try to remove something from the internet once it's been up for more than about all five seconds, you ain't oh, getting yeah. rid of it. Oh yeah, and another thing that I think that isn't great is that because they're trying so desperately to take it down, it actually makes people aware that it exists. I hadn't heard about the story until they were trying to take it down, and then I went and looked at the port, and it looked so ridiculously gorgeous, this port, that it made me want to go and find it and try and download it. And now, as you can imagine, there, as, as you can on, imagine but... also, there's an 8K video footage uh, video of this game. Yeah. And <laughs> it looks amazing. Yeah. Like, it looks incredible. If I, I doubt the actual version that comes to the Switch is going to look anywhere near as good as that. So partly they're probably pissed no, about that. And I... But this is just another... It's another example of the same old argument with Nintendo, is that they're sitting on a mountain of properties that people want to play and they don't have a legal way to play them unless they go and buy fucking on the Wii U store Super Mario 64 or if they go and buy an N64 off of, uh, off of eBay or something else that has the game on it, like an old DS... People want it. Like, the reason that people are downloading this is because they want to play Super Mario 64. Um, so, yeah. The Mario collection that comes out later this year, no pressure, guys, needs to contain stuff like this because there's still a demand for it. There's still people that want to play it in 2020. Yeah, because I got, years. I got to believe that people who want to, to hunt this down and play this, like the Venn diagram of people who want to play this and people that have the original or some version of this game is just one complete circle right you there, there's yeah. no s separate groups here you know i've i've bought this game i want to say at least three different fucking times and i will be buying it for the switch because i imagine it'll come with like galaxy and all, all the other games as well um uh. but i i want to play this just because i want to see what the hell this is and i'll probably will find it at some point there sure as hell is no way I'm going to stream it or um, do any YouTube footage of it because that'll get struck down in no time whatsoever. Um, but I just like does anyone does Nintendo genuinely think that anyone who wants to find this and play it isn't doing it and isn't going to get the Switch version as well? I guess they do. I guess this is why we're here doing this and talking about this. Yeah, they've always been very protective of their properties, so it doesn't surprise me for them. But I just hope that it does continue to illustrate how much people want a modern version of this that they can play. They play it on PC, they're sure as hell going to play it on Switch. Like, if that came out tomorrow, like, that exact version of it, and they charged, like, even 20 quid for it, it would yep. be the number one on the Switch store until yep. their next big release. Yep, yep, and yep, yep. It, and it wouldn't even be close. That would be the number one for the whole time. So, yeah. Cash in your chips, Nintendo. And hurry up about it. And that's the thing as well. I can't even get angry. I can get angry, but I'm still going to buy the Switch version when it comes out. You know, it's we are part of the problem, Jack. We can sit here and complain, but we are as much a part of the problem. Uh, the last thing to discuss in the news. Uh, so, 
Yeah, GTA 5 goes for free on the Epic Store. This had been rumoured for a couple of days and then was all but confirmed um, well before the game actually was released on the Epic Store. Uh, and I was there ready to click and download the game. Uh, it was there on the Epic Store. I was like, hey, GTA 5, download. I clicked it and about, well, nothing happened for about a minute and then the Epic Store uh, went down. It was just, you know, there was a 504 gateway error um, I tried again about half an hour. I got a 500 error message in Spanish, which really led me to believe that the store and the server was fucked. And I continued to get a variation of the two uh, for the rest of the evening. So um, I came back to it this morning. It's up that now. It's up there now. It's available. And uh, yeah, GTA 5 going for free on the Epic Store. I mean, GTA 5 has been, I want to say, at its cheapest somewhere between like 12 to 15 quid depending on the offer that you get like there are some games from i want to say around about 20 2014 2015 2016 like the witch of three doom um gta 5 all those types of games that go anywhere from i think i've seen doom at like five quid at points uh and, and metal gear solid 5 actually is another one and it's kind of mad to see those types of games either going for free or being that cheap considering the size and scale and and the amount of content that you get there uh and on the flip side of it breath of the wild is still like 50 quid on the switch store yeah uh they do not devalue their properties Nintendo. <laughs> no no they do not but i think you know gta 5 at this point it kind of is free to play isn't it the model really is like yeah it, it was still costing like like 15 quid or whatever but they were making all the money from the online and the microtransactions which seems to be one of the most evergreen online gaming communities that there are like it's retained a level of popularity and if anything it's grown in popularity over the last you know x number of years like six seven years that the game's been out so i mean i don't really sense that red dead redemption 2 really got the same level of, of online love that Grand Theft Auto 5 still And I don't think now. it ever was going to get, because I think everyone coming to Red Dead 2 was coming solely because they wanted to enjoy the story, and then if they wanted to play their online game, they would just go back to GTA Online afterwards. Yeah, that's probably true, and it certainly has played out in exactly that fashion. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they might as well just make this game free to play now, because uh, they've got a whole... I mean, first of all, who who that doesn't want gta 5 doesn't own gta 5 at this point would be my question uh, uh me I actually <laughs> i really? was the one person yeah well so i had it on the 360 way back in the day but i never got the this generation's version of it because like i played it and i wasn't really going to go back to it and i didn't really bother with gta online so i just yeah when it came to this generation i i never got around to getting a copy hmm. Okay, fair enough. And as I tweeted but, earlier today, I'm going to probably play it for about an hour and be like, yep, cool, that's still GTA 5. It looks pretty on my PC. It certainly does. And yeah, I, I think they're opening their doors up to a whole bunch of other people now. Like, when you look at things like Fortnite and Warzone and Apex Legends and stuff all raking the cash in, and they're not really being that sort of barrier of people having to pay it, pay their way into the game. I think now they see the immense opportunity to finally be like, you know what, fuck this, we've made enough money out of this game, let's just give it away for free and get a whole legion of new people in. Yeah, that's actually an interesting theory, because I wonder um, if their like daily active user base had 
dipped to any degree over the last year or so because we've had a plethora of, of battle royales and you start from fortnite and you work your way up to where we are with warzone now and you had yeah apex legend in between you've got valorant has come out riot's game yeah. uh so pubg kicking it all off pubg obviously as well so there's a whole i bunch feel like of you'll get sued by player unknown's battlegrounds if you don't mention that they were the first big <laughs> So yeah. I, I can imagine uh, Rockstar just had a big red button that they were like, whenever their daily active user base dropped to a specific number, they just pressed the red button and like, yep, someone just put it up for free and let's just get a couple more million people playing. Yeah, it makes complete sense. But I think the way kids interact with multiplayer games now is that way. Like they kind of expect the basic product to be available, you know, so you can play it with anybody. And then you invest as much into it as you want to get out of it. You're either happy with like your basic level of, of skins that you get in the game and having to grind to earn money, and, or you spend a bit of money and you change the way you look and you garner some things in, in the game, which really, you know, it, it obviously is a pretty smart way of doing it because they earn that much money from it. But yeah, I'd love like a full financial statement of say even last year how much money gta 5 was reeling in uh even at this point because i don't think there'd be many games in history which you know seven years after they were released were making anywhere near that kind of money like honestly do you think fortnite has got to the point where it, it's going to be dipping off like are that many people still going to be playing Fortnite in, in, in five or six years' time? I kind of feel like they're not going to be. No, because they're even at this point, um, there are people talking about how they're, they're either bored of it or they're moving away from it and onto other stuff. Um, so in five years' time, no, I, I don't think that would be the case at all. I mean, you talk like Destiny had a fucking 10-year roadmap, and that lasted how long until we had Destiny 2? <laughs> uh, I, I just think that's an unrealistic yeah. expectation or goal to make. That is so Destiny, though. Like, I always feel like Destiny had delusions of grandeur, which didn't really apply to what it was, which was an average first-person shooter that people played for a while and then put down and never really hung around on. Also, just to buy... This is just what I've, I've looked on, on Wikipedia. By April of 2018, GTA V had generated $6 billion. Like, that is out of this world insane. <laughs> and as of December 2019, the game had shipped over 120 million copies worldwide across all platforms. So Absolutely madness. Yeah, um, we do know that GTA Five managed to make five hundred and ninety-five million in twenty nineteen. So, I'd say they're they're doing all right still. That's great, Fike. That that must have been easily in the top ten earners of video games for that year. Like I'd imagine Fortnite had it by a long way, but GTA must be in the top five, I reckon. I uh, probably that it, and maybe FIFA with the Ultimate Team, and probably yeah, some random mobile game. <laughs> or like Clash of Clans or something. Probably, yeah. Yeah, that's a depressing thought. But, I mean, like, fucking hell, for it to still be making that kind of scratch at this point, it's, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the, the very last thing, actually, just to talk about before we sign off, because uh, I remembered that we had the announcement for this uh, yesterday, uh, was Paper Mario, the Origami King, is coming to the Switch in July. And this seems to be Nintendo's strategy now. They're not even going to bother doing a Direct, they're not going to bother making these announcements for about a game coming out in six months' time. They're just going to go, boom, here's a trailer, game coming out in two months. Fuck off. 
love it. And how good does it look? Oh my as god, well? it looks amazing. It just looks so beautiful. I think like you know, like when we talked about Yoshi's Woolly World at the end of last year, yep. just how beautiful that looked. It's it's that similar thing of Paper Mario, that sort of textured, awesome looking feel, and you know, you're seeing the RPG elements at play as well in, in Paper Mario. You're seeing the sort of you know, like battle against the Goombas with the with the turn by turn combat system that looked really interesting. And it's it's everything that I wanted from a Paper Mario game. I was afraid they might get a bit too much away from the RPG elements of it all, but uh, it looks like that's kind of been retained. Yeah, because because yeah. Super Paper Mario was very much uh, removed a lot of the RPG elements, but just was purely like on the visual side of it. And I really liked Super Paper Mario, um, but it's nice to see them kind of bring elements of that back. And it's nice just to see this as well because. Uh, a lot of the, the the articles that I was reading about this were noting that the the second half of this year for Nintendo looks a little bit light in terms of uh, big titles coming out. You've got Xenoblade Chronicles, uh, Bravely Default Two, and then there's the the uh, Pokemon expansions. But outside of that, there isn't really anything of note. And in fairness, it's not like they need to worry too much because Animal Crossing has sold 13 million copies um, and, you know, sold a whole bunch of Switches to go with that. And whenever the the aforementioned Mario 64 and Galaxy remasters come out, you know, that's going to help as well. So, you know, they could have gone the year and not announced anything else and they'd have been totally fine. But it is nice to see that there is another game. And, uh, yeah, the, the trailer looked awesome. It, I love the look of the origami style. I love... As much as I think that some of the Yoshi and Kirby games, uh, even though some of the elements of the platforming and the gameplay is a bit bland at points or more focused towards kids, I cannot deny that visually they are some of the most beautiful looking games out there. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I'd love it to be in the same vein as Thousand Year Door sure. as well. Um just because I think that's one of the... If you really had to look at kind of underappreciated gems in the Mario wider canon, I would say Thousand Year Door is one of those games, because it came late to the GameCube, which was a console that not many people really got to grips with in that generation. You know, PS2 just absolutely just blew everything else out of the water, even mm-hmm. though the GameCube is a good system itself. So... I think if it kind of hits down Paper Mario and does really well and people dig it, I wouldn't mind seeing a re-release of the original Paper Mario and Thousand Year Door and then, you know, 16 years on, a bunch of people kind of rediscovering the game that I I always thought was really good but never really got much play at the time. But yeah, as a fan of Paper Mario, uh, often wonder that, like I say, the underprivileged and kind of underexposed branches of, of super mario i'm uh, i'm hype for this game yeah i never considered a, a re-release of thousand year door for the switch but fuck it why not look that's what i mean it's, it's testing the water isn't it if paper mario does well then we probably see the paper mario get like a little bundle on there if we're in the year of mario the 30 is it 35 year anniversary of mario this year yeah, or 35. 40th? yeah. 35 yeah if we're, we're in that year and Paper Mario does well, and it comes out in like June, July kind of time. Then you know what? Well, we might get to November, and they're like, "Hey, 
Remember that Paper Mario game you've all been playing and loving? Look, here's the two precursors, and they're both excellent, so you should go play them. I wouldn't mind seeing some of those uh, Mario & Luigi, the uh, GBA and DS games. I wouldn't mind seeing some of them come to the Switch at some point as well, because they're also very underappreciated. Well, I'm waiting for my six golden coins remastered, Mark. I don't know about you, but uh, still waiting on that. Uh, you know, One day, you know my friend. I... One day. Exactly. It's good to have goals. Well, we are going to finish up here for uh, this, um, I'd say bite-sized, but still compact edition of Link to the Cast. Uh, as always, you can find us on all of your uh, podcasting uh, platforms of choice on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and whenever I get around to it, uploading these to YouTube as well. If you want to contact us for our mailbag or just say hi, or if you just want to keep up to date on our content as it's posted, check out the following. We're over at linktothecast.wordpress.com. We are at linktothecast at gmail.com. We're on facebook.com, linktothecast, and we are on Twitter as well at linktothecast. Uh, Dave, you can find at the Dave Today. Uh, I am Mark Robinson X2, and that is obviously the JRPG Jackhammer on Twitter. No, it's actually exactly <laughs> so. And, uh, <laughs> I we might are also... need to start that account now. <laughs> and uh, we are on Twitch as well. I know Dave has um, played some stuff here and there over on Twitch. Um, and, uh, you know, I have my own channel, but we do have a link to the cast, uh, Twitch t- uh, TV as well, uh, whenever we get a chance um yeah thank you very much for for listening and we should be back to your regularly scheduled broadcast next week with the return of dave hopefully god bless and uh, yeah have a safe weekend and we'll see you next time